this episode of the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Brian Lomax. And I'm Josh Berger. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the recent Marty Fish documentary um, that was released on Netflix just a couple of months ago. Um, and a lot of people have been reaching out to me and bringing it up to me. And I, I think, Brian, you've had the same experience um, because of the many of the themes of the documentary. Um, I think we'll... We can give a little bit. Of, I think it would be helpful to give a little bit of a background um, about what the documentary includes, because I'm sure some of our listeners have seen it, but maybe some haven't. Um, so, I would say a, a couple of the big themes, or you know, just a, a brief synopsis of um, of the documentary was um, it included a lot of Marty Fish's struggles um, on the ATP tour once he re really reached his highest heights. So he um, essentially had, he was ranked a lot lower, um, you know, outside of the top 10 for many, many years, um, really changed his lifestyle in certain ways in order to get to the top 10. Um, it was at really the pinnacle of his career and then unfortunately had to stop playing for an extended period of time for right around three years due to um, some mental health issues that he was going through at the time um, relating to anxiety. So that's that's sort of a very brief um, summary of things. But um, in today's discussion, um, Brian and I will talk about certain themes that we um, found from from the documentary. But I think it's, we were talking about this off air a little bit, it's important that we're not, we're not, in, in no way are we casting judgment here. Um, you know, on Marty Fish, on anyone else from the documentary, I mean, professional athletes certainly go through um, an enormous amount of stressors in their life and, you know, have a lot of pressure on them. A lot of, uh, you know, the media and the fans are constantly watching on a day-to-day -day basis. So um, we also can't really imagine what they're going through and can't put ourselves in their shoes. Um, so when an athlete, whether it's Marty Fish, whether it's um, Simone Biles or Naomi Osaka or, you know, Michael Phelps or any of the um, other professional athletes at the highest level who have in recent years opened up about mental health issues. Um, this often leads to a lot of people speculating and casting judgment. Um, and, and in this conversation, we're not going to be doing that. Uh, we're going to be, you know, discussing the documentary, but more so discussing the themes that were brought up in the documentary and some of our thoughts on, on some of these themes. Um, rather than casting judgment on Marty Fish or any individual, um, because you know ultimately it it, it took a, a ton of bravery for him to really open up about these issues and and you know the struggle that he has had um, and really overcome in in many ways. Um, so just wanted to uh, make that clear. And Brian, do you have any any other thoughts on that? Just to, before we really dive into the conversation. Yeah, I'd say that from a level of competency, you know, you and I, Josh, are more on the performance enhancement side, right? And so mm -hmm. this documentary is much more about mental health and, uh, you know, dealing with anxiety and, and so forth. And for you and me, that's not the work that we do. So if, you know, if people are, if they watch this and they may be feeling the same way or they have other types of mental health issues, um, you know, you really want to reach out to somebody who is an expert uh, in, you know, 
counseling psychology or a psychiatrist or other types of clinical psychology um, to, to get help with that. So, you know, certainly Josh and I are not looking at this as any way of sort of like wanting to get business for that type of work. That's not what we do. Um, and, and, yeah, we're really more about performance enhancement. But I think from a, you know, it's an interesting documentary. It's about tennis. It's about, you know, mental side of the game, mental issues in the game. Um, I think the name of the documentary is very interesting, Breaking Point. You know, we talk about break points oftentimes in, in tennis and breaking point is another thing. We might even be looking to exploit the breaking point of our opponent when we're playing. And so there's sort of a lot of different, uh, you know, a little bit of wordplay there just in the name of the documentary itself. Um, so what I think, yeah, we're really just looking at this as almost like a, a review of the documentary, the interesting themes that we picked up on. Um and just go go from there. And uh, you know, I do think it was really uh, quite well done. Um, I saw some interviews with Marty outside of this that um, you know he had connected with uh, the directors and the writers of the documentary, who've done several other ones that are well known. Um, and he really connected well with them. And he and he talked about how discussing this chapter in his life actually helps him to feel better, and and how part of this project was a way of helping other people deal with uh, potential mental health issues that they have. And so I think that that's, it was really great that Marty was able to share these, these things and his story with the world in such a way, in such an open and honest and, and vulnerable way um, that perhaps back in 2011 just wasn't, wasn't possible. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating, fascinating story. Yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot has happened in the last decade um, as, as it relates to mental health and as it relates to athletes opening up about, you know, some of the challenges that they've overcome. Um, so I, I think that the timing was right uh, for him to really open up about it. And uh, I, as you said, he, 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 he feels a lot better when he is able to open up about it and when he's able to help people. And I really liked the actually the end of the, the documentary where they talk about how he became i think right around two years ago he became the davis cup captain for the uh, for the u.s davis cup team um and that you know that allows him to pass on you know his experience and his wisdom um but also i'm sure helps with you know w- whatever players on the team whatever any of them are overcoming um in that moment and you know he can express you know what he's been through and, and hopefully help others um, on a firsthand basis on the team, but also help, you know, a lot of athletes through, through this documentary as well. Um, I mean, you know, when I was at the tennis hall of fame, a lot of people would come up to me asking me about it, you know, if I've seen it. Um, so I, I think, you know, he is certainly making an impact through, through opening up about these sorts of things. Yeah, for sure. And I think maybe we start to get into this a little bit, um, you know, as it opens up, it talks about Marty in his early career, even as a junior, going to Saddlebrook, and and that's where he met Andy Roddick. And um, at a later point in time, Andy moves home, and and, and Marty moves in with him. And I think that's where you start to see, um, and, and and Marty discusses this that the real difference between Andy and Marty. Andy is someone who almost needs to win. And, and the family is, 
um, you know, it's a high achieving family. And there, there's a scene in there where uh, Marty talks about Andy's dad waking him up at 5 a.m. and saying, you know, Marty, get up. It's time to stretch. And Marty's like, I'm so tired. I need to go to bed. No, it's time to stretch. And so, you know, he kind of stepped into this environment that perhaps he had no idea what he was getting into, right? And he became uh, more or less Andy's practice partner and teammate in high school and, and so forth. And to me, that was like one of the first themes that, that comes up is the level of um, discipline and really obsession one needs to become the best tennis player in the world, which Andy Roddick did become for, you know, even though it was a short period of time that he was there. I mean, he was right. He was there right before Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal and, and Djokovic, right? They, I know there's always this talk about what's what's going on with men's American tennis. And as Roddick, you know, rightly said, well, here's what the problem was, is like these three guys, you know, really ended up being the problem. And certainly Federer was first. But um, yeah, so I thought it was very interesting to see that contrast between who Andy was, even as a young teenager, you know, into his early 20s, with who Marty Fish was at that time. It wasn't at that level of um, really obsession or, you know, the willingness to do whatever it took to win. Yeah. Yeah. It it did seem that, you know, once, um, once he moved in with them, his lifestyle certainly changed um, through training at at Saddlebrook as well, you know, being around, you know, in in an environment that had trained people like Jim Currier and, uh, you know, Pete Sampras and and many others um, just, between the two of those things, being in a totally new environment, it it certainly increased the level of intensity, um, and you know I'm, I'm sure helped his his development in certain ways. Um, but yeah, it, it was it also led led I'm sure to certain you know a constant comparison between him and the his roommate who was you know across the hall from him in the same house, um, and you know they they talked about how. Andy Roddick, you know, was featured on SportsCenter, you know, growing up and um, always had a lot of eyes on him at, at Saddlebrook. And, um, you know, he was almost out, outshadowed by Andy in certain ways and almost brought in in certain ways maybe to be to be that practice partner and to help Andy to, you know, give Andy that support. Um, so, you know, that I, I, I thought when they were talking about his development, um, that that was an interesting piece of things. How how much his life radically shifted when when moving in with the Roddicks? Yeah, it almost seemed uh, to a certain extent that Marty was kind of comfortable with the arrangement in a way. Um, you know, he was certainly getting better, um, just being Andy's practice partner, uh, and, and he had a level of success certainly in those early two uh, thousands into you know, later two thousands. Um, so yeah, it was hard to under, you know, know, um, you know, what Marty's perception of this, of the arrangement was certainly he improved through that process and, and so forth. But I did think it was interesting that, um, you know, one of the transitions for Marty was, um, something that, that Roddick talked about how top players are willing to do whatever it takes to win. You know, if they have to stomp on somebody's head, they stomp on somebody's head. If they have to be obsessive 
about training, nutrition, strength and conditioning. That's what they do. And he, and he mentioned that, that Andy said that, you know, I can look at somebody, you know, when they're 18 years old and I know if they've got it or not. And Marty didn't have it. But he also said, Marty's the only guy I've ever seen to get it later. And, and there was a, a, a transition for Marty where he started to really emphasize his strength and conditioning and his practicing. And he became more obsessive about that, became more disciplined with his whole um, training and practicing. Um, and I think it's in that process that um, you know, he started to become uh, different. He started to become uh, you know, closer to, to a, what a top player needed to do, but perhaps it was not also uh, really him at a certain level. Yeah. I mean, they, they show in the documentary how I think he started at 202 pounds um, and, you know, said, you know, I'd love to, maybe, maybe we could lose 12 pounds here. And then I think after about two and a half months, he was down 31 pounds, just, you know, almost to an obsessive level of, you know, the strength and conditioning and also training on the, on the court. Um, but also, you know, cutting, having a, a pretty restrictive diet in a lot of ways, you know, they talked about cutting out the pizza and the beer and different, different things that he was eating. So he certainly was making sacrifices and going closer to that level of intensity and, and commitment that, you know, that maybe he had started to see a piece of living with the Roddicks, you know, waking up at five in the morning. Um, but really from the point, I mean, he was already professional player you know top professional player in certain ways um when that had happened but he made the determination that in order to get to the top level and he actually set his goals on the year-end championships in london which is only you know for the top eight players in the world but he made the determination that in order to get to that level he'd have to really you know increase his training um really get that into gear um in terms of the strength and conditioning in terms of the diet in terms of his on court performance as well. And yeah, it does seem that it, that, that changed him, that, that changed, you know, something about him and really what, what made him, him, and you know, his way of operating in the world, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think a theme that you probably talk about Josh with, with your clients that I do as well is, is professionalism, you know, trying to help people achieve levels of professionalism and of course there are more and more and more levels to that um but you know is there is there a danger just in you know this is sort of a general comment in getting to extremes of anything um and and perhaps that's what we have here a little bit is 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 extremes um but i think it uh you know like something like professionalism is 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 a good concept um but Hey, couldn't it be taken too far? Maybe. Um, same with obsession. I think obsession is something that we often give a negative connotation, although to be obsessive about positive things can be very beneficial. Most of the people who are deemed successful, I think, in, in our societies are often obsessive about what they do. We may not use that word. We might say they're passionate about it or use other words that don't sound so, so negative. But in reality, I think, um, you know, obsession with positive things can be good. But perhaps that can go too far 
as well. And, and maybe that's some pieces of what happened here. Obviously, we don't really know. We don't know the situation. You know, we only know what, what is in the, in the documentary itself. But I thought that that was a potential theme uh, of what was going on was that uh, almost that excessive level of like, if we put things on a continuum, um, you know, like not professional to 100% professional, are we almost like going beyond that? Um, and, and then, and then that maybe leads to some sort of inauthentic behavior for, for Marty and, and maybe he's not quite the same guy that he used to be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at, at a certain point, you know, his, yes, he was, you know, make, making a lot of strides in his, in his fitness and his game and his, and his ranking, but, um, it seemed to, it seemed to, to change him. Uh, maybe in in certain negative ways that you know may maybe led to what ended up happening um, down the road, you know, months down the road. Um, where I, I think if I uh, making sure I get to have this timeline right, um, it was two, it was twenty. It was I think the off season leading into the twenty eleven season when he really went through this transformation with his body. Um, in twenty eleven is when his ranking went from outside the top one hundred to seven in the world. And then it was that following year at the U.S. Open in 2012 when he, um, when his anxiety struggles really came to a head at the U.S. Open, um, leading up to a match against Roger Federer. Right, right. Um, I think the other, you know, so I was asked this weekend, just like you said, people coming up to you and so forth. So I was at a college match this weekend, and and somebody came up to me and asked me what what I thought of the documentary, what did I get out of it? And, and for me, and I, I've thought this ever since I watched it was for me, the dominant theme was this idea of what toughness really is. And what made me think about that is that, and people may not be aware of this, but they kept layering in these clips of Jim Lair talking and and the those clips are from um a dvd or there's a, you can actually see the video on youtube uh the 16 second cure it's really about helping players design a between point routine and and the clips were chosen i think to make it seem like you know mental toughness is this very binary thing right you have to be a hundred percent positive is no whining, no complaining, almost like, you know, impervious to any negativity, um, 100% positive, right? So it, it seemed like they were trying to set up this definition of what it meant to be mentally tough and then how compare that, I would say, to what Marty became, right? And, and Marty probably was embodying a lot of that, maybe taking it in so much, right, of being this guy who was tough out there and um, wouldn't let anything get in his way. Now, I think also what's not maybe in those 16-second cure clips, but anybody who's grown up in the United States, I would say 1990s and prior, 
probably has a certain definition of what it means to be tough as a as a as a as a male, especially a male player, right? Um, and I'll speak for myself here that you know for me growing up, toughness was about um, not showing any weakness. You never cried about anything. Um, you never were vulnerable about your true feelings with things. You always had a very uh, brave outward appearance, right? Nothing was getting to you. Um, and that's just how we were raised, you know, in the 70s and, and 80s. Um, and and so in, with that, though, the the emotion that we were allowed to show was anger. Anger could actually be seen as a an emotion that displayed how tough we were. And, and we could show that. Um, and we, you know, men typically weren't questioned the same way around that type of outburst as, say, women would have been or are questioned about that, right? It's a totally double standard there. Um, so we, you know, so the, and I think I grew up with that sort of definition of toughness and probably have, you know, has, you know, held me back on certain things. And, you know, I've gotten through that over the years and, and figured out that that's not really what toughness is about. And I think that that's where Marty ended up is that, um, and he, and he talks about it, I believe, in the documentary, but certainly in other interviews that toughness is, is about being vulnerable. It's about telling your story. It's about um, admitting you're uncomfortable in a certain situation. And as you said earlier, Josh, the whole thing is just a, a testament to his bravery and his courage. That's, to me, that's real toughness. Having the courage to tell it like it is. And to admit how you're feeling, um, and then to deal with it, and and then move on. I think you know, for the other definition of toughness, we would try to just push things aside, sweep them under the rug, and you don't really end up dealing with anything there. And then that's really where a lot of the problems can come from, is because you've never really resolved what it is you're feeling like. And so that's really what I got out of the documentary was that this sort of Again, I'm speaking for myself because I felt like I was given this definition of toughness or lived it, um, that that in itself was problematic. And that sometimes you can take that, that definition of what it means to be tough too far. And so um, when they were layering in those, those clips of Jim Lair and, and Marty talking, and it's like, oh, wow, I think he's... I think what the docu the filmmakers are trying to say is that this whole concept sometimes of mental toughness, making it about like this impervious fortress of strength and um, you have to be this way, you have to be tough, um, ended up being a part of the problem. I wonder if you saw that same thing. Definitely, definitely. I think uh, you know they, they talked about how – the USTA built, you know, I think it was the the late '80s. Um, you know, they they started building these regional, national training centers um, around the country, and how you know mental toughness and really 
you know, mental fortitude would be a big, a big part of that goal of building, you know, that next American champion. Um, realizing maybe that that would put a lot of pressure on their athletes, but also, you know, wanting to reach the heights of, you know, the, the quote unquote golden era of American tennis, right. That, you know, includes the, the players from the seventies, eighties, nineties, where the U S you know, the eighties. Yeah. The U S had many of the top, top players in the world and were winning, you know, many, many of the grand slams. Um, so I think that was part of the, the plan um, to, to really have that focus on mental toughness and on the mental aspect of the sport, but can I get, can I go too far and almost be corrupted by this feeling that, you know, you're, you're not allowed to show any weakness and you're not allowed to be vulnerable. Um, and as you said, you know, the, the gender component, I think, especially for men that, that the fact that, you know, men are only really allowed to show anger that it causes, you know, a suppression of, of emotions that ultimately is very, very unhealthy. Um, so no, I, I definitely took that away. And I think, you know, fortunately that's, that's changing. And I think, you know, when I grew up in, in the nineties, um, that had maybe started to change a little bit, but I, I would say I've seen it, seen that change more over the last maybe five or so five to 10 years since I've been coaching since, you know, um, I've been doing this work in sports psychology, um, that now there is that willingness for athletes to open up. There's that, um, you know, now teenagers will, will regularly talk about things like, Oh, I'm feeling anxious right now. Um, where I, I would say in the past, even when I was growing up, um, that, that certainly wasn't the case. People didn't use words like that in their, vocabulary you know among friends or in in training settings um so i i it, things are certainly heading in the right direction there is there a ways to go yes but um i would say that both societal and sport um understanding of what toughness is and what resilience is has shifted in a positive direction where it's not just about you know being able to withstand anything now it's you know okay we want to, you know, not just not just be resilient, I guess, and withstand whatever challenges are thrown our way, but also continue, also keep wellness in mind. Yeah, and, and well, well being, and yeah, and w- not just um, okay. I can, you know, not show any negative emotion here, but I'm also looking out for my well being and my my health overall. And I think it's a lot about recognizing all those emotions and you know the willingness to be human the willingness to to be imperfect to make mistakes to learn and as you said if we're suppressing some of that um, then that could you know potentially lead to issues going on you know later on I do agree it feels like things are getting better in that regard uh, I notice too that, parents seem to have better relationships with their kids, you know, or different relationships with their kids. I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of good conversations that go on between parents and their kids that make them feel like they can talk about these things, which I think is great. I think coaches have also, for the most part, updated how they interact with players um, and, and understand what they're 
going through. Many of the coaches now uh, in tennis have gone through the system and understand how difficult it is to 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 go through that. And I I would I think I've said this many times on this podcast. It's probably harder now than it's ever been, uh, especially if uh, not just American players, but speaking from an American perspective where most American players want to play college tennis and there's this such obsession by college coaches on UTR that it creates a, a whole system of, uh, of anxiety around that that may not exist in some other countries that don't have college sports, that don't have you being you know, recruited um, based on an algorithm. You know, or ranking points or whatever. So I think there's a lot of that here, at least. Um, so yeah, things are getting better, and I think it would have been interesting, like if a player like Marty Fitch, Fish's stature had this situation today. What would have been, say, the actual message that went out to the public? Because at the time, it was all about some sort of physical issue or maybe a heart issue. It was not immediately um, associated with uh, anxiety or mental health. And maybe, maybe I think you said this off air, Josh, maybe they don't even, didn't even know at the time, perhaps, right? But although he refers in the documentary of just having all of these thoughts going through his head. So he clearly knew something was going on, but he just couldn't stop those thoughts. And that was then having, you know, a physiological reaction with his, with his heart and his heart racing. And just, there was no way he could play. Um, but I thought it was also a brave decision, Josh, for him to, and I think he was helped by his support team and which is a really important part of any tennis player's life is that, you know, we all have good support teams, but I think it was with the help of his of his wife and his support team that you don't have to play. But imagine pulling out of the U.S. Open in you know potentially one of the greatest opportunities of your career. Um, but but he did that. I think thought that took some courage and bravery to do that, knowing you know I mean look at just look at over the last few years or last maybe year or so with Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles and how much criticism is was leveled at them for being honest about why they were pulling out. Not that Marty wasn't being honest, but they, whether they knew or not, it was never, it was never talked about at the time as being a mental health thing, right? And so I think the, the reaction was far more sympathetic then than certainly what Naomi and, and, and Simone received, um, when they were being honest. Perhaps there may have been a gender component to that as well. I don't know. Um, I don't think you or I were people who were criticizing those two athletes. If anything, we were um, empathizing with them. And uh, also, you know, when we think about athletes at that level, it's very difficult for us to even come close to identifying with what they go through. Uh, to even how they got to where they are, just the mentality that they have to do what they do is beyond 99% of us to understand. Um, we don't know 
how they grew up. We really know almost nothing about these athletes, right? Um, except what we see on TV, and that's a very small snippet of who they are. Uh, but they're amazing people. Um, and what they have accomplished is amazing. And so I think it's um, very difficult for us to make any sort of judgments about anything they want to do. Right? If you're telling me you don't feel like you need can do it today, all right. I 100% believe you. Let's let's figure out what what you want to do. Um, so I think uh, you know at a certain level, um, when we talk, we still have some issues when when athletes talk about this because there's still a lot of judgment out there. And I, uh, if 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 Simone and Naomi had said something was physically wrong, I think the reaction would have been totally different. I, I, I definitely agree there. Um, I think one of the challenges with mental health is that compared to physical health is that it's, it's unseen, right? People on the outside can't see what's going on. Or if an athlete pulls out for something physical that they're going through, uh, the public is pretty understanding that, you know, that this is something that they need to do. They don't want to make the situation worse. Where if it's something related to their mental health, Sometimes it's seen as you know something that they're electing to do or they're choosing to make this decision. Yeah, or a uh, sign of weakness at some or a sign level. Of Absolutely, which you know athletes, as you said, are taught from a very young age not to show weakness um, in order to you know always be dominant and be superior to their opponents, almost showing it through their body language and through your actions. I think also actually with Simone Biles in particular, it was an interesting situation. This maybe wasn't talked enough about that the, the actual safety risks that she could have been going through by deciding to step out there when she wasn't emotionally um, ready to do so when when um, you know her mental health wasn't right uh, doing gymnastics especially at that level and you know having and not being um, not being ready to do that um, from a mental health standpoint can, can actually be can have a lot of ex- a lot of uh, safety risks, so I, I don't think that was necessarily touched on enough. But um, to go back to what what you were you were saying, Brian, um, relating to Marty Fish, um, no, it was interesting seeing how his you know it sort of started with his thoughts racing, right? It started um, they talked about the match against Andy Roddick at the Cincinnati Masters, um, I think it was like two thousand three or something, um, where they had match point and that's where the thoughts start racing. And I think a lot of athletes can relate to that, right? Where maybe it's, you have match point or maybe it's break point or some big point in your match and your thoughts start racing. And the, um, the, the way that he explained it was, you know, we, we talked about how Marty had grown up with Andy and they knew each other really well. They knew each other's games really well. So Marty fish had a stronger backhand and he said, okay, well, you know, he knows that my backhand's better, so that means he'll serve to my forehand. But he knows that I know that my backhand's better, so maybe he'll serve to my backhand. And but and then it it's almost these these thought patterns that become very circular at a certain point, and those sorts of overthinking and that you know those racing thoughts that started in that kind of a way um, almost manifested itself into. The, some of the physiological 
symptoms that he was experiencing with his heart racing and not being able to control that um, that I think happened in the match right before the, when he was supposed to play, face Federer in the match where he ultimately dropped out. I think it was his third round match where that, that was happening um, and had been happening, you know, in other situations. And it, it just shows the link between our, our thoughts and our, and the way that we feel physically. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, you know, hopefully when these situations happen in the future, and it, it certainly can happen to a lot of people um, and is happening to a lot of people, um, you know, by being open about it, you can ultimately seek help and get the help that, that is needed a lot earlier. You, you know, you don't wait years not knowing what's going on, but, you know, with the lessening stigma, um, hopefully athletes feel comfortable coming forward to a trained professional sooner so they can get the help that they need on the mental health side. And it doesn't manifest into a longer battle than it necessarily needs to be. Yeah. Right. I thought, let's just go back to that Cincinnati master story. I thought that was just like such fascinating, um, not only dialogue that, that Marty was using about the whole thing, right? Cause they know each other and guessing and, but it also showed just like what a gamer Roddick was to, you know, so what he ended up doing um, on that first match point is he kicked it high wide to Marty's backhand. He wasn't ready for it. And yep. so then he got another opportunity, right? And so Marty's going through the same process. You know, is he going to do it again? What's he going to do and whatever? And what does Roddick do? He does the exact same serve and it works again. And it almost like that just broke him in that match, right? Because Rada came back and and won won the match, and uh, so in in a way, like really impressive thinking from Roddick, and perhaps Marty overcomplicating the whole thing for himself, and 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 maybe it's overthinking it to the point where he lost the opportunity. To, 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 to come through there but that I thought was a really fascinating part of the, the of the film um, your point about um, you know getting help and whatever I think that's great you know we want to make sure that we all feel like we're acting in an authentic way we're acting towards our you know the what we feel is important in terms of our core values and character as a person and maybe even it's just be building some of that self-awareness about who you are, who you want to be, and those types of things, and and understanding that being vulnerable, admitting how you feel, admitting you're feeling uncomfortable are not signs of weakness. You're actually being strong and brave and courageous. Um, and uh, I think that's the first part of really learning to be more self-aware and more of you know your authentic self um you know tennis like if we bring this back to a tennis thing tennis should be fun it shouldn't be even at the pro level i mean there ought to be some level of enjoyment right that you are excelling at something you really love to do and i think when you look at the top guys today the top three guys um Maybe they're not exactly the top three, right? But we all know we're talking about the big three. Um, they w- they they've been there so long that there has to be some passion and, and love for what they do. 
or else they, they would have quit years ago. Similar to like a Bjorn Borg who got out, you know, by the age of 26. Uh, these guys have, you know, gone, gone beyond that. So tennis really should be something you enjoy doing. And, and if it's not, then, then there probably needs to be some examination of, um, some purpose around that or, or thinking back to when tennis was fun for you. What was different when it was fun as opposed to maybe how you're feeling now? Because uh, if it's not fun now, then there's something going on. And, uh, you know, I think one way to figure that out is, is go back to when it was fun. What was different back then? What could make it fun again? What, you know, do you need to refigure or reconfigure the purpose of tennis in your life and, and what it's helping you do. You know, most of us, you know, certainly not you and me, Josh, we're not going to be number one in the world and we're not pursuing that. Um, most of the people who listen to this are same thing, right? Tennis is probably more of a, while we may be very serious competitively, um, it's a different kind of project for us. Um, and it should be enjoyable no matter what we do. And so, um, I would just like to, you know, stress to everybody to see if they can connect with that joy in some way. Um, and, and, and if you're not feeling that joy, think back to a time when you were and, and perhaps compare, compare what's different now versus um, what was going on then. I think that that's a, definitely an important point. We, we talk, we've talked a lot on this podcast about enjoying that process, right? Um, knowing that that the the road to development as a tennis player as you know and whatever your per- pursuit is even in, in another sport or another domain um, is challenging it, it takes a lot of hard work there's always the ups and downs there's a lot of winning a lot of losing we've talked on this show about some of the specific challenges of tennis as well um, so by enjoying that process that allows that allows you to withstand those ups and downs by enjoying, by noticing the, you know, the, the small improvements, the 1% improvements by, um, you know, by, by looking for enjoyment along the way that allows that process to continue. Um, so I, I think you bring up a great point that, you know, whatever level you're at, even at the, the professional level, um, you know, it, it's it's critical to to enjoy that process and to you know to to really find out what what you're passionate about with the sport. Um, it's it's often one of the first things I talk about with somebody. Why why did you start playing in the first place? What do you enjoy about it? Because it it can be something that you look back to during those tough moments um, when maybe you're thinking about quitting, maybe when you're wondering why you're doing this at all. It's it can be helpful to you know really have that um, at the front of your mind. Okay, this is why I play. This is you know this is not who I am as a person, but this is you know something that I do and something that I enjoy. And you know remembering that and remembering some of the key reasons why you play can really help you through some of those tough moments. And Marty Fish mentioned. I'm not sure if this is in the documentary or something that he wrote, but. While, while tennis doesn't necessarily have a lot of dire physical consequences like boxing or you know MMA, uh, it is a gladiator-like sport. You know, we've talked often about this as a combat sport. And 
the the mental toll that goes on in a tennis match might be even tougher than than say some of the other fighting or combat sports um, because of that perhaps lack of physical connection that we have with the opponent um, and so there has to be some level of purpose or enjoyment and understanding of that this is how it works um, it takes a lot of courage and bravery to go through that process to go through that struggle we talked about that in a recent episode about you know enjoying that that competitive process enjoying the stress of competition uh, easier said than done of course um, uh, but if we can you know go back and connect with that and, and understand that what you're doing takes a lot of courage and bravery um, and can you enjoy that aspect of who you are and what you're doing out there um, yeah it's a tough sport it's uh, it's I would say that you know Marty's story, can probably, I hope, inspire a lot of other people. And he's talked about this in some interviews that he's had post-release of the documentary, that that people have come up to him and told him how important it was to hear his story. Um, um, and you know, whether they got help or or just went out and did something because of his story that was inspiring. And, and that, that was, I think, one of the major reasons why he did this was to, to help people but it also continues to help him in this, in this process. So um, uh, I'm sure that there are many people who have been inspired by this. And uh, for those who haven't seen it, absolutely go. It's totally worth watching. I think the documentary is very well done, even just from a, uh, a storyline, filmmaking, etc. It's, uh, it's very, very good, as are some of the other ones in this series. So the same people who made that um, – the Way Brothers. They also did some of the other um, did the other uh, documentaries in the Untold series. That's what they're sort of maybe Netflix's thirty for thirty kind of thing. Um, so I've watched a couple of the other documentaries, and they're also really, really, really good. Um, so Josh, any of the sort of last concluding thoughts on your part for this? Not really. I think we pretty much touched on touched on a lot here. I mean, I think. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I think it's important just to remember that we don't always see the the whole picture when we when we look at somebody, right? You know, you don't always know what what they're going through. That might be a professional athlete, that might be um, a child, right? We don't always know what's going on behind the scenes. We don't always know what's going on in somebody's head. So, um, I think that's just always an important reminder, um, especially when it relates to you know mental health or some of these th- topics that we talked about today um, that you know a lot of people are struggling in, in different ways and just to remember that um, when, when interacting with everybody and um, especially as it relates to sport um, you know that balance is often the key long term and having some balance and you know yes in order to reach the top of the game it requires a, a level of dedication and you know you might say obsession um but to not let your health and your well-being suffer in the meantime yeah and i think it as um people who are watching others do these things uh the key emotion we can use is empathy just empathize with what they do and what they go through and 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 i'd say we you know we really don't know what's going on um, even for the people we work with, we're always sort of 
uncovering more and more layers to that, right? So, um, yeah, fascinating conversation. Um, again, recommend that everybody watch watch this. Um, a really excellent documentary. So, thank you all for listening. Um, for more information on today's episode, you can check out the show notes. If you have any feedback or questions for me and Josh, please email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use the Twitter hashtag tennisiq. Additionally, please subscribe to the podcast or to the show on your podcast platform of choice, which includes YouTube, so you can be notified of new episodes. You can also check out our posts on Instagram. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon in our next episode.